You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, I know that for some in the room, uh, you may know me, some may not know me too well, so I think it's always nice to share a little bit so that you know who's speaking to you. So uh, my name is Gabriel. I am married to the lovely Precious. She's not here at the moment. She's going to be in the second service. Um, She actually brought me to CLM back in 2015, and she said to me, just come and check out my church, and I'm still here. (laughs) So clearly, clearly we still love the church. Thank God. Um, And we have a lovely son. Uh, His name is Ezra. He just turned one recently. I know time has flown by so quickly. And I also have the privilege, which you may know, of uh, working here at CLM. I work primarily with the youth the most amazing youth ministry. I'm so grateful for each and every one of them. Um, So that's a little bit about me, just so you know who is speaking to you today. I am super excited and super grateful to be bringing the word of God for you this morning. And for some of us in the room, we may be super seasoned to the faith. We've been doing this for decades. We've been around the things of God for a long time. For some others in the room, maybe you're quite new to this. Maybe you've just recently given your life to Jesus and you're loving it. Um, but you're still just finding your feet. Maybe others in the room, you've been away for, from God for a while and you've recently come back. And there may be some in the room that don't really know where you are with your faith. You're not sure what you believe. Even when we sing these songs, when we lift up praise in worship to God, you're not sure if you agree. You're not sure exactly where you sit or where you fall. And wherever you are this morning, can I encourage each and every one of us to simply have an open heart because I believe that the Lord wants to speak to each and every one of us in the room today. I believe that we're all here on purpose and for purpose to hear from God. So I want to encourage you just to open your heart. Is that okay? Wonderful. Wonderful. So in a moment, we are going to go to our focus passage for this morning. I was going to get right to it. So on that note, if you could go with me to Colossians chapter 2. That's Colossians chapter 2. I'll give us a moment to get there. It's also going to come up on the screen in just a moment as well. But Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be reading from verses 13 to 15. And before we do get to it to read, I'm just going to give us a little bit of context. because I think that's always helpful to understand what was going on at the time that some of these uh, different letters and books in the Bible were written. So many, many of us will be aware that the book of Colossians, or what would have been a letter at the time, was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written to a church um, in a place called Colossae in Asia Minor. And Paul had heard whilst he was in prison, so Paul was in prison for his faith, and he had heard that the church had started to be infiltrated with loads of, let's say, false teachings that were starting to be combined with Christian doctrine. So Paul was in prison. I'm not exactly sure how he found out. I think it was through one of those that he had led to the Lord, And he now decided to write to the church in Colossae. I'm not sure about you guys, but if I was in prison, I would probably be a bit down in the dumps, probably be a bit discouraged. But bless Paul, he had the time to write a letter to a church to encourage them in their faith. Uh, This is clearly a giant of the faith. So he starts the letter as he does many of his letters with general greetings. And then he quickly moves on to sharing specifically who Jesus is and what he came to do, what he came to accomplish. And that's where we come into our verses here. But before we start reading our verses, I'd love us to pray. So why don't we pray together? 
Your heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you sent him for our sake. And Jesus, we thank you that you came willingly. And we thank you, Lord God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can understand these holy scriptures, Lord. We thank you that these aren't just words on a page, but this is the word of God. And we pray as we take time to sit under it, that you would speak to us, that you'd open our hearts to receive what you have to say. I pray for myself. I pray, Lord, that you'd use me as your instrument, that you'd be glorified through this time and that we would be edified. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Wonderful. So if we go together to chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 13 to 15, and we're a little bit quiet today, just a little bit. So I think it'd be good for us to read this together. Maybe wake us up. So if you're if you're due to sleep off, hopefully this will wake you up just a little bit. So, hopefully it will come up on the screen. Thank you so much, David. I will start with when, and why don't you just join me from you, and we'll read this together. So, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow. Wow, wow. Only, only a couple of verses here, but they are rich, rich with what Jesus Christ has done, has won for us. And I think it would be great for us to walk through these verses together. So we're just, we're going to camp primarily in these two verses. We're going to go to a couple others, but primarily going to be in Colossians 2, 13 to 15. So as we can see at the start, it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. This is some very, I think, complex language. Um, but let's start with dead in your sin. So here it's speaking of a state where we are or where those that are believers, before they've come to believe in Jesus, are spiritually dead. Not literally dead, but spiritually dead. And this is the state of being in natural rebellion against God. When you desire to do the things that are contrary to God's ways and disobey him. I'm not sure about you. I say this often, I'm not sure about you, but nobody had to teach me to do the wrong thing. I just knew how to do it. If you naturally do the right thing, please come and speak to me. I would like to understand. But for me, no one had to teach me. I just knew how to do it from the start. I'm not going to say too much because my mom might be watching. and I don't want her to know the things I was doing when I was young. But they were naturally wrong. I've shared a little bit about it before. And she, she spoke to me about that, so I'm just going to stop there. But, um, yeah, normally, for most of us, I, I believe, we naturally lean towards doing the wrong thing. And this, this too, is exactly what is being spoken about here when Paul speaks of this uncircumcision of the flesh. It's not talking about a literal circumcision. It's talking about the flesh. So our natural nature, so our natural inclinations without any divine intervention. So without any input from God, naturally, our flesh, so our, our sinful nature, that's what it's referring to here when it says the flesh. So when it's saying before the uncircumcision of the flesh, what it's actually saying is that before you came to Jesus and your old ways were cut off. Before those days, that's what it's referring to here. So if we read that all together now, and then we see in verse 13 where it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, we now understand that what Paul is really saying here, to those that are believers in Colossae, he's saying to them, 
before you came to know Jesus. It's really that simple. Before you came to know him and you were living your own way, you were living in rebellion against God. God made you alive in Christ. So this is key to note because it wasn't once they had it all figured out, but it was whilst they were dead in their sin, God made them alive in Christ. And we're going to come back to this point about being alive in Christ. So I would love us just to put a pin in that for now. But what I want us to take note of is this is all about before they became a new creation in Christ. And Paul continues on to say that in that state, God forgave us all our sins and he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So these are some really powerful truths here. And I'm going um, to aim to unpack this a little bit for us. But what Paul is saying here is that through Jesus' death on the cross, the believer's sins are completely forgiven. So not partially, but completely. I think we hear that, but I don't know if we fully get that. And the reason why I'm not sure we fully get it is because the way we live sometimes, it will suggest that we don't understand that they are completely forgiven. And this isn't just the sins that are out in the open that others might know about, but the unseen and the hidden ones too. This isn't just the sins that you, that, that no one may know, sorry, this includes the sins that no one may know that you are struggling with. The ones that are hidden away, the ones that you know how to cover up, but you maybe come to church and you put on a brave face. It includes those sins too. It includes the sins that if anybody else found out about them, you would be really ashamed. You would feel like you couldn't show your face. This includes all of those sins. Sometimes we try to forget about them, but the key thing is that God sees them yet they're still forgiven. So it includes all of our sins. So it's important that we take note of that before we move on. And for me, growing up in church, I heard this over and over again, that your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. But I didn't really get the significance. And I think it was because I didn't really understand the consequence of sin. I think that's why I didn't get this idea of my sins being forgiven. And it's not going to come up on a screen, but in Romans 6, 23, it speaks about how the wages of sin is death. And what this means, I heard this so much. And that's why I'm so passionate about the Word of God and trying to understand it, because I always heard this, and I didn't get what it meant. So it says the wages of sin is death. And simply, what this means is that the payment for our sin is death. This is an interesting thing to turn to your neighbor and say, but turn to your neighbor and say, the payment for your sin is death. Yeah, I didn't think you could say that enthusiastically. It's hard to say, right? So the payment for our sin is death. And the reality is that there is a deserved consequence for our rebellion against the holy God. That's the reality. And that consequence is death. To be separate from him. There is a result, a consequence to us disobeying him. And I don't know about you, but I personally have lost count of my sin. Maybe you have yours on record, but I've lost count. I don't know how many times I've sinned. I've lost count of the amount of times I've rebelled and disobeyed and gone against God's ways. I don't know about you. So if there was a list of my sin before God, it would be very, 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 very long. In fact, Uncle Jack, could you just come forward very quick? Let's, let's show some appreciation for Uncle Jack as he comes forward. He's going to help me real quick. Wonderful. So Uncle Jack's going to help me out here because I think sometimes the visual can help us to sometimes capture some of these scriptural truths. 
So let's say Uncle Jack is me. So this is not me talking about Uncle Jack's thing because I don't know anything about it. Uncle Jack is me, and these sheets, this sheet of paper represents my sin. So let's say that this sheet here is all of my sin, back and front. Quite a lot of sin, right? Quite a lot of sin. Are we agreed? Quite a lot of sin. I thought so. So I may look at this and be like, it's not too bad. Just one sheet, or it's just a couple sheets. It's not too bad. And then I start to recall my sin. I start to recall my rebellion. I start to recall the things that I've done against God. And I, the list suddenly gets longer and longer. I really start to take it in. It's a lot more than I thought it was. But then I start thinking, you know what? I, uh, I pray regularly. I serve in church. I read my Bible. So it's not that bad. It could be worse. But hopefully we are aware that what you do for God can't save you. It's not going to change that this is still my wages. This is still my sin. And then I might think, you know, I'm, well, I do go to church. I'm not as bad as others, you know. But then I start to remember some more. And I start to really take in, like, this, this, is, this is a lot of sin. This is messed up. But when I don't take time to think about it, I can start to think, oh, I'm actually a quite good person. I'm all right. I don't do too much bad. I used to do bad, but I'm not that bad anymore. But then I even start to think about my life since I've come to know Jesus. And the list continues to grow. So where I end up is realizing that I am a dirty sinner. I'm not going to ask you to call yourself that. But I'll call myself that. However, the beautiful, the most important news is that it doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there. That's the most powerful thing about this passage and what I believe it's trying to teach us. Because as I said earlier, there's only one way to pay for our sin, and that is death. And as we can see from our focus passage today, We can see that Jesus came to play his part in helping us deal with this debt. Like I said earlier on, there is a consequence, and God is a God of justice. I'm sure we can agree with that. So when we do wrong, we expect there to be punishment, right? If we were in a courtroom and a mass murderer was before the judge and the jury, and the judge said, you know what? I kind of like you. You kind of look like me. So I'm going to let you go. You've done what you did. There is a law. You've broken the law, but I'm going to let you go. If the judge did that, would we say that he's a just judge? No. No. I did. Okay. Okay. We're in agreement. We wouldn't say he's a just judge. But for some reason, sometimes we have God in our mind and we picture that in spite of our sin, because of his grace, he just forgot about it. He just wrote it off. That's not actually what happened. Somebody had to pay. And there's only one payment, and it's death. So in comes Jesus. And as verse 14 says, 
It says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So the charge that stood against us was our debt and our sin against God. So we're spiritually bankrupt here. We do not have enough to pay. There's nothing you can do to pay it off. The only person that could come and pay it off is Jesus himself. Why was it Jesus himself? Because he was the only person that came and lived a sinless life. So he's the only one that can actually pay for our sin. So Jesus came, as has been said in our service this morning, he came in the flesh and he lived a sinless and a perfect life and he died on our behalf. And it's through his death that this charge that stood against us, this debt that was too much for us to pay, we're not even showing you the full, it's, there's more. This debt that was way beyond what we could pay, what Jesus did, he came and he canceled it. That's good news, right? That's good news, right? Amen. Amen. So, this is something of a physical representation of God cancelling your debt. And Uncle Jack is just going to continue to tear those up because it's important for us to remember that Jesus has come and he's cancelled our debt completely. He has paid the price in full. For some of you, thank you so much, Uncle Jack. Let's give, give him a round of applause. So, for some of us, that like a title, might be wondering what my title is today. The title of our message is Cancelled. Can we say Cancelled? Wonderful. Cancelled. That is the title of my message today. And if there's anything else, if everything else you forget, this is what I would like you to remember. That your sin that has led and that should have led to your death, to your eternal separation with God, the debt that it caused has been cancelled. You no longer have to pay. You couldn't pay anyway. So your Reality was going to be eternal separation from God. But because of his blood, because of what Jesus came and did, it has been cancelled. And that is reason to rejoice. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I, I love the original language used here for cancelled. Uh, it's the Greek word. I'm not Greek, so forgive me. Exalepho. Exalepho. Can we say that together? <laughs> forgive me if I'm misleading you in the wrong pronunciation, but... Um. This is the original Greek language. And what this word's, word means, what I think is so beautiful, what it means is to completely wash, to obliterate, to erase, to wipe out or blot out. So when it's speaking of cancel, I don't even know if cancel does it proper justice. It says that it obliterates our record of sin. That's what it's speaking of here when it says that our debt has been canceled. We no longer stand condemned or opposed to God. In fact, when we accept what Jesus has done on the cross, we now have a right and restored relationship with God. As 2 Corinthians 5, 21, which is going to come up on the screen, says, For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin. Let me say that again, forgive me. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is such a beautiful truth. When we really look at what these words mean, once again, growing up in church, I heard the word righteousness a lot. Didn't know what it meant. I was frustrated when I found out how simple it was. Righteousness simply means right standing with God. Right relationship with God. That's all righteousness means. So Jesus came and became sin. And he died the death that we should have died. He went on our behalf. And because of his death, we now have right relationship with God. We have right standing with God. Before we were opposed to God, we were enemies of God, we were in debt, and we couldn't pay. 
But Jesus paid, and now we have right relationship with God. We have now become the righteousness of God. Hopefully this is one easier to say. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am the righteousness of God. And this is something that, for me, when I reflect on, is mind-blowing. I was once an enemy of God, and because of what Jesus has done, he's restored my relationship. He's brought me back to himself. And this is what makes it possible for us to then become new creations. So if we go back to verse 13 of our focus verse, where we had put a pin before, we can see it says, God made you alive in Christ. And this is our reality when we accept Jesus' completed work on the cross for us. Not just his death, but his resurrection from death shows that he defeated the power of death. And because he raised to life, we can also have new life in him. We are given a new nature. God replaces that old, rebellious, evil nature and gives us a new, loving, and righteous nature. We no longer have to be dead in our sin or bound to the desires of our flesh. Before, we were slaves to our sinful nature. We, we just couldn't help it, as we spoke about before. But now, we can be free to live for Christ. In Jesus' death, our bondage and our enslavement to sin has been nailed to the cross with him. So I am no longer a slave to sin. I hope you can say the same. Because I've been made alive in Christ. I've become a new creation. And some of us that have accepted Jesus in our lives may say, so why do I still desire to sin? And why do I still get tempted? Why, why, can't, why can't this be done away with? And it's important for us to acknowledge that freedom from the power of sin does not mean that temptation will cease. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, Jesus lived his whole life without sin. But we see in Matthew 4, the devil still tried to tempt him. The one who was sinless, he still tried to tempt. I see it as, how much more is he going to try and tempt me? How much more is he going to try and take me back to my old ways, to my old self, to my sinful nature? So I want to encourage us that because temptation is present, that doesn't mean that we haven't stepped into the new. That doesn't mean that we haven't become a new creation. Because we might still desire to sin, and we may fall short sometimes, we cannot allow the enemy to lie to us that we have not become born again, that we have not become new in Christ. That is a lie from the enemy himself. I think the easiest way that I can try and help us understand it is that for me, speak for myself, before I was a slave to sin, I was bound by it. I couldn't help it. It's just what I had a natural inclination to do. And I didn't feel convicted otherwise. But now, even when I do fall short, there's a conviction from the Holy Spirit within me. There's a wrestle in me that this is wrong. This is not of God. And as it's grown, as I've continued to journey increasingly with the Holy Spirit, that conviction gives me power to say no. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us as we become new creations. But if we continue to go through our focus verse, at verse 15, Jesus goes on to explain that through, forgive me, it goes on to explain that through Jesus' triumphant death on the cross, he disarmed the power, the powers and authorities. This is a lofty phrase. I'm not going to attempt to unpack it fully because there's so much to 
what these powers and authorities could represent. But one thing that I think for me is incredible is that not only did Jesus disarm the power that sin had over us to keep us chained to our sinful living and the guilt and shame that it brings, but it also disarms the power of the enemy over our lives. And as we looked at earlier, it disarms the consequence of our sin, which is death. So we don't need to try and strive to earn our salvation or do good works with the intention of trying to pay God back when we mess up. This was a mistake that I made growing up in church, thinking that the more I did, the more pleasing I would be in God's sight. I, although nobody told me, I, I taught myself a teaching, a theology, that I could earn my salvation. I could earn God's love for me. But this is impossible. We can't add to a finished work. The price has already been paid in full. The charge against us has been cancelled. Can we say cancelled? Cancelled. Obliterated. Erased. And that's forever. There's nothing I can do to add to it. And there's nothing that you can do to add to it. And as I was preparing for this message, I was speaking with a friend. We were reflecting on what our culture, or maybe I'll say, if you're a millennial in the room, give me a wave. Millennial. Wonderful. If you're, there won't be too many, but if you're Gen Z in the room, give me a wave. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm so sorry. I can't remember what's above millennial. So... <laughs> But, but, for many millennials and Gen Z, one thing I know that has been rampant as of recent is this phenomenon that is called cancel culture. And give me a wave if you've heard of cancel culture before. So cancel culture, if you haven't heard of it, is like the idea of, you know, burning bridges and ending or severing relationships when people wrong us or hurt us. But I just found it so interesting that this cancelling that is spoken of in Scripture is something that, as Christians, we don't really take note of or we don't really speak about much. In fact, it's actually like the opposite to the council culture that is in the world. And why I say that is because when we look at these words today, we understand that a holy God sees us in our wrongdoing, sees us in our rebellion, sees us in our disobedience to him, and in spite of that, sin that does hurt him, he decides, and he decides to cancel it completely. Whereas we currently live in a culture where if we feel somebody wrongs us, or we feel somebody hurts us, all right, you're cancelled. All right, you're out. Maybe that's what we call it as millennials and Gen Z. Maybe you call it something else if you're not in that bracket. But that's something that I believe that we struggle with a great deal. We struggle to extend what we receive from our Father. And I believe that he's calling us to be a set-apart people. And that's why I wanted to quickly come to this and mention this, because I believe he wants us to be distinct from the world. The word calls us to not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And in Colossians 3, it goes on to say this in verse 13. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. As we do this, we start to walk like Jesus did. It's, it's wonderful for us to appreciate this and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. So we should. But Jesus is also calling us to extend this. To extend forgiveness, to extend mercy. And as I was preparing this, although it wasn't initially in my plan, I feel like for some of us in the room, we need to hear this and internalize it. That we need to rejoice and celebrate what the Lord has done for us. But he's calling us to go on then and be conduits 
of what he has done for us too. To be those that give grace and mercy and forgiveness. Because I don't know about you, but my list was beyond an amount that I think deserved to be forgiven. I wasn't deserved of forgiveness or of grace, but yet it was extended to me. So my encouragement to you really is that you would extend the same. And I say that to myself as much as I do you guys. And I think as we start to walk in this counterculture way, contrary from the ways of the world, we begin to point people towards him by the way we live our lives. Can I invite the band to come and join me? And as I conclude, I, we learned some things from these verses today that I want to summarize. Firstly, we learned we were once all dead in our sin and we lived contrary to God's ways. And then that Jesus came and died on our behalf. And that through his death, the debt that we owe from our sin has now been cancelled. And we now have new life in Christ and no longer stand condemned or separate from God. But I've had our relationships with him restored. And sin and death no longer has power over us. These are some of the things that stand out to me from this very rich passage that we've read today. So the question then becomes, what do we do with this? As we come to understand this, what do we do with this? And I feel there's perhaps two different groups of people in the room that may need to respond. Firstly, for those in the room that are followers of Jesus, whether that's a recent decision you've made or whether you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, I believe the response for us is very simple. I believe it is to live like we know this to be true. To not be casual about what Jesus has done for us, but to live lives that show that we believe this. That I don't just claim to be a follower of Jesus. I don't just claim to be a Christian, but my life shows it. My life is overflowing with gratitude. And, I, and, and this is a beautiful passage that I think gives us some direction as to how we should walk. It's uh, Colossians 2, verses 6 to 7. And it says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Those that know Jesus, can I encourage you, let this be your testimony. Let this be your story. Let this be the reality of the way you live your life, that you might walk in the freedom that he has for you. That you might live your life in him, led by his spirit, and not bound by your old nature, bound to the ways of your flesh. That you might take off the old, spiritually dead nature and put on the new. That you might continue to grow and be strengthened in your faith. And that you would continue to remember and overflow with thankfulness on what he has won for you. And I feel very importantly that you would remember that you don't need to, nor can you, and add to what he's already done. That it's finished and he's paid it fully. Your debt has been cancelled. And for some others in the room, I feel that maybe you haven't accepted this finished work of Jesus. You haven't invited him in. You haven't received 
his finished work on the cross for you. That might be that you've never really heard this before or you've been in church like I was for many years, but you didn't understand it. You didn't understand the magnitude of what he'd done for you. That because of his sacrifice on the cross, you can have a restored relationship with your Father in heaven. That you no longer have to pay for your sin and your rebellion against him. And if that's you in a moment, I'm going to ask you to be bold and I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Simply to invite Jesus into your heart and say, Lord, I accept your finished work. Thank you that you canceled the debt for me. So what I'd love us to do around the room, if we could close our eyes together, just to help respect the space for those individuals. And if that's you, the latter of the two things I've shared, that you need to accept Jesus into your heart. Where you are now, I'm going to encourage you to stand. And we're going to pray together. And I'm just going to lead you to invite Jesus into your heart. It's great. Give it a moment if anyone else needs to, and then we're going to pray. And I encourage you just to pray this out loud. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray this with them. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, read it out and encourage you to repeat after me. Great, let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die for me on the cross. I am sorry for my wrongdoing and sin against you. Today I turn away from my sinful living. And I accept you, Jesus. I invite you into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a new creation. And transform me from the inside out. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats, those that stand? I'd love us to do as heaven does. Heaven says when those repent, when a sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven. So I'd love us to rejoice in the room because people have come. Thank you, Jesus. I want to encourage you guys that have taken that decision that you just made the best decision in your life. Best decision that you could ever make. And we'd love you to come to the, full, to the front at the end and the prayer team and I'll be here as well. We'd love to just stand with you and pray with you and, and help you take steps in your journey from here on out. It only gets better from here. So we rejoice. Can I encourage us all to stand in the room together? And I'm just going to close us out in prayer. And if the first thing that I mentioned, you are a follower of Jesus and you want to live like it, you want to live like you believe that he has indeed cancelled your debt, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us by his Holy Spirit to live like it, to walk it out. So if that is you, I'm going to encourage you, maybe just to posture yourself to receive and I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God will come. I would empower us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you that you showed that, you evidenced that by sending your son Jesus. And King Jesus, we thank you that you went on our behalf, that you died for our sake. We thank you that you shed your blood. And through your blood shed, we have been cleansed. We have been washed. We thank you that the debt that was against us has been cancelled. We thank you that the wages of our sin has been paid for in full. So we bless you today. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, 
Thank you for coming to take residence in our hearts. Thank you that the very power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And we come before you now and we ask, Spirit of God, fill us again. Fill us again, that we might walk like we believe that you have saved us, that you have ransomed us, that you've made us new creations, that you've transformed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Help us to live not a casual faith, but a faith that shows that we believe that you have set us free, that you've ransomed us, that, you know, that we are no longer slaves to sin. So we bless you today. We ask that we go away from here empowered to live for you. And not only to live in appreciation, but to be those that bring your kingdom where we are. And we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.